Hey everyone, welcome once again to the Conversations That Matter podcast. I'm your host, John Harris. We have a very busy man with us today, Pastor and Senator Dusty Devers from the great state of Oklahoma. Uh, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to join me and answer some questions and talk about some important things, uh, Senator and Pastor Dusty Devers. Hey, John, thank you so much for having me, man. I really respect the work you are doing and you've been doing for many years now. And uh, it's very thankless oftentimes. And uh, I, I've experienced some of the, uh, the difficulty of doing a thankless job uh, at times. But, you know, I want to be one of the ones who encourages you and lets you know I appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much. And I appreciate you. The, the affection is mutual. I know you've um, written some articles for TruthScript as well, if people want to go check those out. And so we've had some conversations uh, in private chats and stuff, but we haven't done this yet. And so um, this may be the first of, of a few that we'll do in the future as you continue on in your role as a state senator in Oklahoma. Uh, I want to let you talk and just inspire other men to take a stand for the right thing. Um, you went from being a pastor to now being a state senator. That's kind of a heavy decision. I don't think people just casually walk into that. So maybe walk us through that. What did that look like for you? Yeah, that's that's. I, I'll try not to be too long, but there is a long narrative, a storyline uh, that God is has written, and He's still writing that kind of led me to that decision. Uh, you see some things in the background here. This is my uh, son's room. I'm at my house today, had a little bit of a reprieve and some of the work for, for my Senate seat. So I'm at my house in the quietest place with five kids in the house. One of them in college is one of their upstairs bedrooms. So I don't have a basketball goal and, and, and medals on my wall in, in some office. I'd, I'd have the basketball goal. Um, but yeah, the, the process to get there, oh man, in 2019, really it, I started tracking more on a political level uh, whenever we were helping assist in trying to pass the bill to abolish abortion, SB 13 in Oklahoma. And then uh, so I started to learn more about the political process and talking with your your elected officials. And then in 2020 came and, you know, we were really caught on our heels with regard to what's the role of the civil magistrate. Uh, in relationship to the church, but also what's the civil magistrate's relationship to God and his governing. And in reading some of the, you know, Westminster Confession and the 1689 and seeing, I, I read through Lex Rex and the Vindicia Contra Tyrannis uh, and other works like Bassiet's The Law, uh, and recognizing that our founding fathers of this country, but then even pushing back the Puritans and the reformers, they understood this stuff at a far better level than we did. And uh, we had much to learn and recover. So really this is what I, I, I feel like I'm doing is just uh, a work of repentance and a recovery project of, of getting back to where we should have been. Uh, and, and we were so uh, unequipped to, to take on 2020 that I, I, felt convicted over it, uh, quite frankly, uh, and started to lead the church through uh, bearing fruit and keeping with repentance. Uh, kind of shift around. Did you want to say something? No, I, I can always say something, but I, I I want you to keep talking. So tell us the story. Keep going. 
Yeah, I'll fast forward to uh, coming up to this office. We have been teaching, we've been preaching through Deuteronomy. I edited a book on uh, God and government by Brett Baggett uh, that you can get on Amazon. It's really good. It's really short, but I edited that and helped him along with that. And it was very helpful. We taught our church through it. Uh, we taught our, we've been preaching through Deuteronomy for a while. Uh, and we wrote a, a member uh, of ours and, and myself, James Silberman. Some of you probably know of him uh, from his work in Abolitionist Rising and Free the States. We wrote the statement on Christian nationalism and we were teaching the church through it. And we had this this journey with the church that God was taking us on. And so when this Senate seat came open, it was a, a special election. The Senate seat was, was re resigned by the guy who was in our district. And we knew that we had to do something. Uh, God had positioned us since 2019, particularly we thought to be the most equipped church in our district having thought through all of these things multiple times and having done deep dives into the relationship of God and government and the relationship of the government to the church, that we should run someone. So three weeks went by and we were praying for those three weeks. We had a prayer meeting on a Thursday night, myself and another one of our elders put ourselves forward. Uh, and the church then prayed for another hour and then they uh, they encouraged, they, they actually commissioned me to run for the position. So from there, I had a whole lot more learning to do about, um, gosh, running for senator and the political process as far as campaigning. And now I'm learning a lot at having been elected and really God bringing me into this role about how to um, legislate from the inside now. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. And I mean, I have so many questions about how that affects your role as a pastor and what it was like to have people in your own denomination, including the current president, oppose you uh, in some form. Um, I, I do want to go to some of the people, though, in chat, because we actually have four people right now standing by. And um, uh, if you unmute your microphones, I know you're ready. There's one person with uh, their microphone unmuted. That's Jeff Reynolds. So I'm going to go to Jeff first. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? Hey, John. Good. How are you doing? Good to see you. Thanks for doing this. And yeah, my pleasure. I don't I don't think I have much to say yet, except that this is an awesome, another great um, discussion with an amazing, uh, you know, an amazing guest, uh, Dusty. Congratulate, you know, congratulations and thank you for the work you're doing. It's these kind of battles are the things that are going to make the difference um, these days. I mean, <clears throat> so just uh, appreciate what you're doing. This is great. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. If you have a question or, or comment as we go through it, just let me know in the private chat and uh, we'll go from there. Sorry, I didn't mean to spring that on you. <laughs> You're the only one with your mic off. So I'm sorry, I didn't, that wasn't intentional. <laughs> no worries. It, Jeff, thank you for the encouragement. Uh, I appreciate it. And yeah, John, whenever you, we think about the transition to being a senator now, essentially, in my mind, in the mind of our church, we have we have three elders at our church. Uh it is, it, it's, it's not a hard shift. I mean, we've taught the people how to read the word of God and how to apply the word of God in their own homes, in their parenting, in having just government in their own personal life and just government in their homes, 
and we as elders are trying to practice just government in the church. And so now we just want to uh, practice just government, righteous government uh, in the civil sphere as well. And God's word is clearly capable for that. It's sufficient for all things in life and godliness. And that includes life and godliness outside of the home and the church as well. So it, it would it would cover that. And uh, I mean, I think most pastors, most Christians who are, or at least the, the men who are running their homes well, and the men who are running their churches well, and are good judges, righteous judges, who hold the word of God up to matters in their home, and who hold the word of God up to matters in the church, they are more capable at holding to, at holding the word of God up to matters in the civil sphere than really anyone else that's not holding the word of God up to to judge. Right. Yeah, no, good point. Um, and, and I just want to say, uh, by way of announcement here, anyone who does have a question who's in chat, just turn your microphone on and I'll see it. And then I'll know that I can come to you and you can ask a question or make a, a statement or you want to argue with Senator Devers. He's, he's going to get used to that. He probably already is. <laughs> so um, I, I wanted to ask you about the Christian nationalism thing. You mentioned it already that you uh, drafted or helped draft this uh, statement when you were uh, still a well, you, you are still a pastor, but it was when you, you were not a state senator yet. And, um, you know, this has been one of the questions I get a lot from people uh, is, uh, especially people who've read Stephen Wolf's book, and they wonder, okay, well, what does this actually look like? So, you know, you say you want a Christian nation, you say you want the government to uphold Christian values, and uh, you want a, a, a Christian identity, but what are the steps that you take? What are the laws that you pass? What does that effectively look like? And, you know, I've given some specifics, uh, uh, like, but but for me, it's like I'm not in public office. I'm not doing any of these things directly, and uh, you are. So I think this is a great opportunity, maybe, to talk about your bills or just what you think um, it looks like to be a Christian, self-consciously so, in public office, uh, and you know, what are the steps that need to be taken to bring, um, in this case, the state of Oklahoma to a, a more Christian place? I, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, when we talk about Christian, we're not saying uh, we're not using the term like we would someone that we're bringing into church membership, uh, where we're assessing the um, the profession of faith and their practice of faith to see if they're in the in the kingdom of God if they've been born again. We're using it more as a set of principles um, by which we or a, a set of principles in the script from the scriptures that we we recognize that this world is to be governed by and particularly how governments are to be governed whenever we talk about authority governing is about a use of authority and what are the what what is the standard for the use of authority and is that authority prescribed in the scriptures and we would say yes god prescribes uh, servants of his to govern as his mediators in this on this earth. And so he has prescribed governing, and then he has also prescribed the means for our governing, and that means is in accordance with his word. And if we do otherwise, then we are essentially uh, usurping the sovereign rule of God through Christ, who has 
been seated above every power in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Uh, so that's our marching orders. And it's pretty straightforward as far as, uh, you know, if you want to talk about Christian nationalism, what we mean by a Christian nation. Yeah. Um, what I'd like to do is maybe go from general to specific. So we'll go from kind of like the what you're talking about now, the responsibility of Christians in a civil in a civil sphere, and then go to the specific bills that you've introduced. Um, now, I didn't ask your permission to this. I probably should have, and you don't have to get involved with this if you don't want to. But I think this is a common objection uh, to what you're talking about. This is fresh off the press this morning. Um, Owen Strand had responded to you. You you wrote, good morning, woke up, poured my cup of straight black coffee, surveyed the landscape, analyzed the situation with various uh, metrics, assessment report, crisis king, undefeated his government and uh, and its increase has no end. And then you quoted Acts 17, six through seven. And then Owen Strand responded and said, Christ is king, Dusty, amen. But note what the apostles focused on, preaching the gospel. While we need politicians, the apostles weren't po politicians. They were fearless before rulers, but their focus was making disciples and strengthening churches. That's the Great Commission. And so I, I think that's fairly representative of some of the reaction that you'll see in um, even reformed evangelical circles to what you're trying to do, that uh, you know Christians don't really have much of a business being in politics, or if they do, it, it should not ever be um, thought of as part of the mission of Christians. It's it's something separate. It's it's a secular thing, I guess. And, and the, the two shall never touch. And so you, I know you deal with this objection a lot. What's your response to something like that? Well, goodness gracious, where to start with that? I mean, I, I did write a response to what Owen posted, but essentially I think the most important part is um when you look at the authority of Christ, I think of it like like Thomas Boston and some of the other uh, Puritans did in terms of Christ's essential aspect of his authority and his mediatorial aspect of his authority. Essentially, as God, the Son of God, has essential reign and rule over all things— Everything in this world was created by him, for him, through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. So this, everything in this world is created after Christ and for Christ. And whenever we rebelled against God, we were essentially rebelling against Christ and the, the image of God in Christ on us. And that's particularly what was in, in the fall, we rebelled against God and we broke what was what was marred is that image of God in Christ on us so that Christ is the only one who can come back and redeem us or reconcile us to God and fix the marred image. And that's what he does in uh, coming to earth, living a sinless life, uh, dying a substitutionary death on the cross, raising from the dead on the third day, ascending to the right hand of the Father. And now in his current reign, he is both essential king, but also mediatorial king. So that's the two aspects of his uh, kingship. And by his mediatorial rule, it means he has, um, he has through the gospel, and this is what we see in the Great Commission, this is why I think getting at Owen's 
uh, flawed hermeneutic here. In, in the Great Commission, Christ says, the preamble to it is, all authority in heaven, his essential kingship, and on earth as a mediator, he now has kingship, uh, has been given to me. And so on the basis of that dual nature of his authority, essential and mediatorial, he sends out the apostles to extend the mediatorial reign of Christ. They're not extending the essential rule of Christ because he has it by nature of his divinity. Uh, they are extending the mediatorial rule of Christ through what? Through the preaching of the gospel, yes. And what's embedded in the Great Commission is the teaching those people to observe and obey or obey everything that he commands. So what we're building in this life is the mediatorial rule of Christ through submitting to him through the gospel, his kingship through the gospel, and submitting to him by faith through uh, being zealous for good works in every area. And those good works actually show off the rule of Christ. So how did Owen get it wrong? It's because he fails to see both sides. It's a reductionistic hermeneutic. So I'm, I'm really going at his theological method uh, largely in, in, in that comment. Yeah, no, good, good thoughts. Um, what would you say if someone, and I don't know that he would believe this or, you know, I don't know who would believe this, but it just came to my head, you know, uh, extending the rule of Christ in a mediatorial way, when you impose laws on people who are not Christians, right? Uh, they're godless. Let's say they could even be pagans or atheists and they are now forced because they live in a jurisdiction, uh, like your own, let's say if they pass some of the laws that you proposed, that um, requires them to ab abide at least externally under God's law in some way. Uh, is, is that an extension of the mediatorial role of Christ or um, how does that work? Is that something separate in your mind? Yeah, that's absolutely an extension. And what they're getting is they're getting a measure of grace uh, from being, uh, being in proximity to the to true christianity uh, so whenever christians are voted into office it's not just good for for christians it's good for the wicked as well uh it's it's good for those who maybe are yet to come to christ uh so whenever there are several proverbs and several um scriptures that talk about when when the righteous increase uh the the uh the the people flourish um, and so whenever the wicked increase, the people groan. Whenever there's wicked rulers, the people groan. Why is that? Because God who made this world also spoke. The God who created also speaks. And he spoke in his word how the world is to be ordered. And that ordered good is the best life for anyone and everyone, whether they believe in him or not. So it is a grace to all under the jurisdiction of a Christian leader who will bow the, the knee to Christ. It's a grace to all of them. Uh, yeah. So most Christians you would think would respect someone who wants to, as an elected official, uh, make the law of God uh, not just important, but required because it, it, it'll make everything better. It'll you know, it's, it's, you know, the third use of the law, it's going to not just uh, 
convict of sin, but it's also going to make sure that uh, evil is somewhat uh, put at bay so that there's a there, that conviction can take place. There is a standard that's that's upheld. This just seems basic to me in, in a way, but there does seem to be um, an objection that some Christians have to it. And I was wondering, I don't want to get too much into the drama here unless you want to, but if that was part of the reason that the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, Bart Barber, gave money in the primary to one of the candidates who uh, was challenging you or you were challenging them, uh, you were competing against each other in that primary, um, they did not support you. And, and and I've heard, and I don't know this to be true or not, but, th but that that particular candidate is not, I guess, as pro-life as you are, or, or I should say against abortion as you are. Um, what's the deal there? You know, it's just confusing, I think, to Southern Baptists, especially thinking like, okay, our president hates abortion, I think, and wants the law of God. And sounds like Dusty wants that. So what's the disconnect? Yeah, I think, I think the disconnect there is they think I... The, the the way I interpret scripture is they think it's probably too narrow, but I see it being a broader application of scripture to all of life, all of Christ for all of life, where I think they might say that it's too narrow because I want to see the, uh, the laws applied with consistency uh, I don't want to make any room for evil that some good may come along, uh, Romans 3, 8. Uh, but uh, I think it's intimidating for some people to think that way. I think a lot of people have been trained by, um, well, I don't even like to say secular because I don't believe that there's this middle space uh, that's secular and there's this there's this Christian side or this this place where God rules and then there's this secular place and then there's this, you know, Satan's world. I don't think that there's that middle space, but I think that a lot of uh, a lot of people who are, well, a lot of people for that matter, and especially uh, the the post-war folks that have a B in front of their names, uh, their categorical name. I think a lot of them were trained by classical liberalism, and like there's this. Like there's this um, like this quad out in the middle of the university where all ideas are, are equal and where it's OK. And once you walk off the quad, nobody's going to fight. And there's there's this middle space that is kind of like it's going to build community as though it's neutral. And I just cannot square that with Scripture from the very beginning. It was either you are obeying God or you're going to listen to the serpent who says, did God really say? So it's either you're coming under the rule of God, your creator, who is also gracious and sent his son, or you're going to come under the rule of the serpent. And so it's a serpentine theocracy or a, a rule of God. And there's not a space in the middle. And so I think when people hear me talk about these kinds of things, they think, well, that that violates our sensibilities that there's this neutral space and that's the best way to govern. That we're going to get win some and lose some and compromise is the uh, currency of pol politics and you just have to play play politics. And I don't, it, I, I'll play politics if we're talking about Jesus is king 
and we obey him and anything he says to do is what is best and it will happen in accordance with his will and his timing. I don't have to worry about the results. I'll play politics like that, but I won't play politics if you think that there's a space to take God's rule and reign and to tamper with it and to uh, to uh, uh, practice cunning with the scriptures. That's really yeah. what I think it is. So you don't see, you know, some. I think that's why some people say, "Well, Christian nationalism is a threat to democracy because they're thinking of this neutral space where uh, their conception of uh, free speech and right to privacy, and you can do anything you want, really, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. That's that's what they want to try to preserve. But of course, all manner of evil is cultivated in that space, and it's really not that neutral. And then that actually affects, uh, in in this case, the the moral and working men and women who are uh put it footing the bill for all of this and and that I, I think brings us into some of these bills uh that you have uh introduced to the state senate and um i'm looking at your uh there's a a website called bill track and it has you know all these bills there's i think there's what nine bills something like that that you've introduced yeah. Yeah. which is that normal i just have to ask is that that seems like for someone who just got elected that's a little bit like, uh, that's a lot. <laughs> you know, it probably is a lot. Uh, they, I came in in a special election and the reason why I don't have more actually is because, uh, I came in very late in the process. Many of the deadlines were already passed. They made what they said were some concessions, uh, for me to actually file and they gave me three bills that already had titles on them, but you can change the title uh, before the session starts. And, and even after the session, they the titles can change, but at least they had to be filed by a certain date. And they gave me three bills. They're essentially called shell bills. And then I, I went out and pushed for six more. And essentially what you see in these nine bills are the are the platforms that I ran on for the most part. There's a few others that if I could have gotten bills for, I might've run, but I was warned. Don't, uh, don't take on too much. And people are telling me you have taken on too much. Um, and you've really put yourself, uh, put a target on your back. And a lot of people aren't going to like it. People in Senate leadership are not going to like it, but, uh, you know, in God's providence, I ran on certain positions and I told the church, we're going to run on these platform on, on these talk on these uh, platform positions, but the liberal media is going to try to make my campaign uh, into something that is hateful. That's spiteful. That's corrupted or whatever. They're, they're going to try to do that. So you need to remember church, whenever they bring something up, it could only be brought up and made a major issue because it first went through the sovereign God's filter. And if he wants it brought up, they would have had to pass it through him. And if it gets to me, then I'm going to lean into it even harder. I'm not going to back away from it. And if the people aren't ready, that's not my fault. Obedience is mine. The results belong to God. If the people are ready, then I, I am going to, uh, uh, they'll vote me in and I'll represent these very positions. If they aren't ready, then so be it. I'll go back and, and we'll keep preaching and we'll keep moving forward. I'm, I'm content with that. 
because I don't need this position. This is not something I need for my my uh, bucket list or for my goals in life or for my kids to see. Oh, look, your dad really is a winner. I don't care about that stuff. I want to honor the Lord. And so, yeah, there's there's nine here and there's some pretty significant heavy hitters. Let, let's start with the ones that aren't as heavy uh, that are you know, they don't get the headlines, but taxes, <laughs> because you're seen as a social conservative guy. And that's the Christian nationalist movement. Right. But you got two bills on taxes here. Tell me about that. Yeah. Yeah. So the first one, Senate Bill 2031, is to repeal the state income tax. And right now it's at 4.75. And I think it's it's an unjust tax. Um, and I want to see it at zero. And, you know, I can talk about the reasons why, if, if you'd like, why I think it's a, an unjust tax. Um, but then the second one is, it's, it's called, it's 2037, Senate Bill 2037, and it's called the um, grocery tax rebate. Um, but essentially there's some, there's some marketing in that, in that name, but essentially what it's about is setting up a framework for a consumption tax, uh, where you can, you, you tax, uh, goods and certain services, uh, and not tax, um, not do any unjust taxation. Gotcha. Uh, and that, wait, did you mention the other one? That's the, that's one of them, uh, eliminating the income tax. And then, okay. So I guess that flows into the, the sales tax rebate. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Um, yeah, this is, we probably could go for a while on that, but then we wouldn't have time for the other stuff. Uh, if anyone wants to ask a question about that, they're more than welcome. I'm going to go to Chase Davis though, first pastor, uh, Chase Davis, who has been on the show before and see what he has to say. Um, and then, um, uh, Andrew's on deck to ask a question. So, hey, Chase. Hey, guys. Great to be here. Hey, How you doing? Good, good, good. So, I don't know if you have a question or a comment or uh, an argument you want to pick a bone with Dusty. No, I don't have a, a bone to pick with Dusty. I, I do, uh, first of all, really inspired, really thankful for your work, praying for you. Um, we just had a talk with our church last night. We do these kind of uh, quarterly teachings. Last night was on wealth and money. And so I brought up the issue of taxation. So I'm always interested in talking about that. You know, you you as kind of wearing dual hats as a uh, politician now and uh, a pastor. I'm curious, you know, we're we're at our church. We're putting up, uh, we're signing, we're putting a petition in the lobby for an abortion abolition bill uh, on mm-hmm. Sundays. And it makes a lot of evangelicals uncomfortable, uh, you know, when you do that kind of thing, mainly because they have this boogeyman of separation of church and state and that kind of thing. So how do you, how do you as a pastor you know, through the preaching, um, where, is there a, is there kind of a firewall in your mind? Like, yeah, I won't touch an issue or are you just kind of like everything's fair game? Like, is there something pastors should avoid when getting up and teaching on these things? And I'm, I'm sure it gets complicated with you wearing two hats. So that would, that would be kind of my thing. I, I would be interested to hear your thoughts on. Good question. You're trying to get me in trouble with the state, aren't you? I'm really not. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, look, I don't see any firewalls that are provided to me by the scriptures. So why should I recognize an unjust law if there is one? Uh, I don't see any firewalls provided in the scriptures. Pastors should, should preach the full counsel of the word so that the blood of the people's, the blood of the people is not on their hands. Uh, like Paul said. Uh, so uh, as a, 
there that's not to say that there aren't distinct roles for the church to play and tools for the church to wield versus what the state can wield. Uh, the church has the tools of the word and sacrament uh, in the preaching of the gospel and the teaching people to obey everything that Jesus commanded. And then the giving of baptism and the giving and receiving of the Lord's supper for uh, the discipline and the integrity of the church. Uh, the state has, uh, is, has been in place by, to protect innocent people, to punish and terrorize evildoers, and to promote what is good in accordance with the will of God or the, the law of God and the word of God. Uh, and their tools that have been given to them is the sword, the sword of force to uh, protect and to protect those innocent people by punishing and terrorizing evildoers. The church hasn't been given the sword of violence or justice in that sense. The church has been given uh, word and sacrament as their tools. So, yeah, uh, there are distinct tools and roles, but is there conversation that's off limit? I don't see that in Scripture. Um, now, if you want to get to taxation, I'm happy to have a conversation with you about uh, why income tax is an unjust tax. Well, unfortunately, we have like 20 minutes, so yeah. <laughs> that's the problem. We And I want to get to the, because uh, right now you're making headlines for wanting to ban pornography. And I want to, if we have time, we might not talk about the border. But uh, before that, Andrew has a question or a comment. Hey, Andrew, how are you doing? Can you hear me? Yep, yep, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yep. Howdy, Senator. Um, I'm Andrew from Texas. Uh, here we're going to ask a question about Texas in a little bit can get to it but um, I had a real quick question about the case for Christian nationalism the um, book by Stephen Wolf I'm about halfway through working through it still trying to figure out where everybody kind of is there's a lot of um, different flavors I was curious how familiar familiar you are with his work and where you would differ in any sort of noticeable way good question yeah um so i've scanned most of it and i've read about oh a third of it so um i'm i'm not really ready to say where i would disagree with him or not he's a presbyterian i'm a baptist i think if if he's going to follow along with the westminster whether it was before the american edit or after i'm not even certain on that uh, and, you know, as a 1689, we're going to have some differences, but, um, I really think that, that his work is monumental and that what he has done is courageous and he has taken a lot of undue, um, um, heat for what he's done. He's been very misunderstood, uh, misunderstood, sorry, uh, misunderstood and, miss um a lot of misguided folks are taking him to task for really i think irresponsible readings of his of his work so i'm not going to uh, i'm not going to say anything towards that end yeah uh no good good answer to that um we have uh sean uh next i don't know if sean has a question or a comment but uh sean how you doing doing great guys uh, good to meet you uh senator Thank you for your service, and I appreciate you standing up in this hour. Um, we need more men like you. Uh, I, 
my question really just really conversation with you real quick about what's it like to be a freshman senator right now and, and jumping in with this. I, I've talked to other first timers and they've said, you know, they had to get good running shoes to run around the Capitol. They didn't realize how much that would take for them to do that. But I'd like to know how many bills, how many bills do you anticipate running this? You know, is this something you have only have 15 or as a freshman, are you limited to only five or six this year? And I, I'd love to hear you talk about what you think as a freshman is going to be, you know, your actual effect on this legislative session there. How much can you do? Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of that is up, up, is, is going to be determined here over the next few weeks. Session runs from February 6th uh, till, well, February 5th until the end of May. Uh, so we had deadlines to turn in bills. And, and what I was telling John earlier is that I came in so late that it was just running and gunning. I was working about 18 hours a day to get these bills written and get them back to the drafters and and get edits done. And a couple of them need work. There's going to be amendments that I'll even offer on, on a few of them because I don't think that they're perfect yet. Um, and that's that's fine. This is how the, the process works. Uh, but those nine that I turned in, I, I think, are heavy hitters. And, you know, you, you brought up uh, getting running shoes. Well, I swore off the use of the elevator. I'm on the fifth floor. And every morning... I come in with my two bags with computers in each one of them and, uh, you know, other heavy items for, for protection. And, um, uh, I run those five, those five flights of stairs, uh, because I, there's a few reasons for that. I need to get in shape a little bit better. I need to be strong. Uh, I think I have a responsibility to, uh, for my body as well before the Lord, but I also, it is intimidating for people to see me running up those stairs. And uh, it's been numerous times people have seen me run up the stairs and uh, they're like, they're, it's, it's pretty shocking, I guess. But every time I'll do that probably three times a day, uh, I'll run the five flights of stairs, uh, whether it's to, to clear my mind or to just get some, some more energy. I'll do that. Uh, but yeah, What's the likelihood of them getting passed? Um, that's that's up to the Lord to determine. I am just trying to be faithful, and I've been told that leadership is not going to sniff out. They're not even going to come close enough to smell these bills. They're not going to be appropriated to committees. If they are, I'm going to be mocked and shamed. Uh, I've been told that the leadership does not want uh, anything that makes the Senate look undignified and some of these bills are going to make the Senate look undignified that we would be arguing over these things. Um, I mean, in, in my mind, the people that I'm representing, the 80,000 or so people in my district um, are just as much Oklahomans as anybody else, whether I'm a freshman or I've been there 10, 11 years. So that representation that they deserve is the same as, anybody at the highest positions of the Senate. And the, quite frankly, we have an extra constitutional administrative regime that is running uh, a lot of the state houses and this running our federal government. 
the Constitution, we are post-constitutional in that way in so many ways. And so most of what we need to be doing is repealing, is to be striking back government and getting the government under the Constitution. And so, I mean, you you bring up a really good question. If my bills won't be even heard in committee or heard from the floor, well, it's not because my constituents didn't want it. I was very clear, very honest with them. They sent me up here with all of these positions. I was very straightforward. I did not bake and switch them. So they sent me to do this job. And if somebody else keeps me from, from speaking up for them, that is post-constitutional. Thank you, Senator Devers. Uh, we have Tyler uh, who has a question or a comment. Hey, Tyler, how you doing? Hey, John. Hey, Dusty. Hey, I don't uh, talk to Tyler. I don't talk. <laughs> I, I actually did almost text you this, but I actually thought this would be a really good one for uh, for lots of people because it's something I've considered. But if someone, this is my problem, is I just looked up like a lot of questions about running for office and I think most people don't even know like who their mayor is or how long a mayor is in office for or, or even like the zoning board. Let's not even go state level, which where you're at, or even like as high as a mayor. Let's just go like, sorry for the light, like a zoning board, which actually does have a lot of power. How would one just find out when are the next elections? Who's up for reelection? Uh, is it even wise for me to run because this person might be actually pretty good? Do I really want to run against this person? Like, how would one even start to find where to even go? Because I know guys see you and are thinking, okay, I could probably do this. I'm, I'm going to give this a shot, you know? Yeah. Good question. Yeah. So in every elected office, there are, there are going to be rules, whether that's your your school board or your city council or your mayor uh this county sheriff the county commissioners there are all there are rules for um how long they can serve in office how old they have to be how long they have to be a resident um what their 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 window for um filling in the application is all of those things so i would i would just do us a, a probably a quick Google search and find out what that is right now, because it might be too late or there might be an opening coming. You need to go talk to, if it's at the local level, you need to go talk to some of the, the leaders in your town, go to the city council meetings, go to the school board meetings, go to the, the uh, county commissioner meetings, go to the meetings, find out what's happening. Understand the process a little bit before you just jump into it. That way you'll know what you're getting into more uh, I, I was going up to the Capitol for four years before running for office. Uh, it made sense for me to, to uh, attempt to run for that position. Our church recognized that it made absolute sense and not just made sense, but they recognized that God had, had placed this, this charge on me and charge on our church to take up our duty together. So it didn't come out of the blue. And why didn't it come out of the blue? Because, you know, I, by God's grace, he was causing me to not neglect the small days of, you know, not neglect the day of beginnings or the small beginnings that I was working and, and just trying to be faithful with the next thing that God gave me. And that thing might've went for months, just trying to preach on the abortion Holocaust 
uh, trying to go up to the Capitol and give speeches and and help lead uh, psalm sings at the Capitol um, or go to city council meetings and plead with them not to do unconstitutional things. Um, th- those kinds of things so that it, it's a it's a fit and it makes sense. Uh, so I, I would I would not neglect the day of small beginnings. I would start getting involved where you are right now, having conversations, get to know the politics of your area, what's good and bad and ugly, get to know the major players and start having conversations with them so that you're you're geared up for it. Well, we have about 10 minutes, nine minutes left. And with that time, I'd like to dedicate half of it to the border issue and then uh, also the, the pornography issue, because that seems to be making headlines right now. Maybe we'll start with the pornography issue since that's uh, closely related to one of your bills. Um, I, I have not read the bill, so I'm, I'm looking to you to kind of give direction on what your vision is here. But you, you introduced a bill that would effectively ban pornography and also, uh, as I understand it, sending indecent pictures uh, to uh, through, through electronic communications uh, to people who are not, I guess, if, if they're not married, I, I don't know exactly how that works. If they're married, I guess they can do that. But um, maybe explain to us what your vision is here. And then um, if you could also address the practicality of it, because that's the first thing I know I thought was, uh, is this something that can actually be enforced? Because I know laws that aren't enforceable tend to be degrade the rest of the law in a way because people just think, well, if we, we broke that one. It doesn't matter. We can break this one. Right. So, so how do you enforce something like that? Yeah. Yeah. So the Oklahoma GOP platform for 2023 on the family section, section C number seven says we support and encourage rigorous enforcement of all anti-pornography, obscenity and human trafficking laws. So I am operating in accordance with the will of the people of Oklahoma, at least the Republicans of Oklahoma, in writing this bill. And what this bill essentially does is it uh, gives it 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 bans pornography in its uh, production and distribution and uh, consumption, and it puts criminal charges for production, distribution, and consumption. And then it gives makes civil allowances for uh, like a mom, an angry dad uh, who wants to protect his daughter to sue producers or distributors of pornography, or it it would give a wife protection uh, for herself from a dirty ex-husband passing around her, her old, their old pictures. Um, so it, it then also uses the Miller versus California uh, three-prong obscenity test. This is where SCOTUS established actually a three-prong obscenity test to discern, determine if speech or expression could be labeled as obscene. And if it is labeled as obscene, then it's not protected by the First Amendment. So it can be prohibited. And that that three-pronged test is the uh, prurient test or the arousal test, the offensiveness test, and then the serious value test. So those three areas. And I, I, I dare say that no one would say that the pornography that's being passed around right now would pass uh, the test to say that's not obscene. And that's essentially creating, it, it's, it's helping uh, refine the Miller test and put it, put it actually put it to test. 
both in Oklahoma and on the federal level. I'm assuming that the federal level is it's they're going to take it up. But Oklahomans, by the 10th Amendment, have the right and the duty to protect Oklahomans from uh, to protect Oklahomans people. And that would include pornography. So we're essentially saying if a we're asking, does a jury in Oklahoma have the right to say that pornography is obscene and it's against First Amendment rights of the people? Well, it's not even against the First Amendment rights of the people. It actually supports, holds the First Amendment rights of the people. It's actually a protection against the defiling of the First Amendment. And that's that's what good law actually does. When we think about where do we get our rights, we're essentially saying our, in our Constitution, our rights are from God. They are not from government. And so what this legislation is doing is saying our rights are from God. They're not from the government. And you don't have the right to uh, do certain evils in society, which pornography is fundamentally an evil. It's destructive and corrosive. There is no good to it. And it is uh, it is has been the source of all kinds of evil in our society. So we have the right as Oklahomans to to strengthen our First Amendment position. I think a lot of uh, people from the Generation Z, right? I'm a millennial, so right under me, uh, believe this or, or understand this in stronger terms, just because they've been ravaged by it and. They can see the negative effects it's having on them or their friends, and uh, um, I, I just find it interesting because a few years ago, I I couldn't see this being a big issue for Republicans like anywhere, right? I don't know if you felt that way, but it just seemed like wasn't a big priority, and and that priority seems to be growing in my mind, at least on the right. Uh, there's sort of a, a more of an interest in relooking at this. So um, yeah, thank you for having the bravery to even start this conversation to challenge this. Uh, since we only have three minutes, uh, border that's making headlines. I know you're not, you haven't introduced a bill on this topic specifically, but Oklahoma, at least the governor there, uh, has vocalized standing with Greg Abbott of Texas. And, um, what kinds of things can uh, you as a state Senator do if anything to, uh, prevent illegal migrants from making their way into Oklahoma and living there and benefiting from, uh, things that really belong to the people of Oklahoma? Yeah. Um, well, we have a constitution that protects the state's rights to protect themselves. And beyond that, God demands that governing authorities protect the people, the innocent people. And so we would have the right, divine right from God to protect the people of our state, whether our constitution supported or not. And it does. Uh, and that right uh, means that we can do a lot of different things. We can actually be very creative in, in what it means to legally protect our people. And, 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 and really, it's a sixth commandment issue. The governing authorities have a duty to protect the life and livelihood of their people and to then punish anyone who would uh, threaten the life and livelihood of their people. So, you know, we, we can we could send... It, it, it can't be just me, but what the legis the Oklahoma legislature could do is 
there are lots of things. We could send money to Texas to help. We could send National Guard or um, Oklahoma Guard. We could um, we could remind our uh, county commissioners or well, not our county commissioners, but our, our our sheriffs, our county sheriffs, that they have a duty to protect the people in their county from uh, those who would seek to uh, violate our property and livelihood. And they even even going so far as a county sheriff could deputize a bunch of guys to protect the border of their, their county. They could for, require warrants for any federal agent that would come in and say, you can't do that. They could uh, require uh, really any illegal to have to prove proof of driver's license or proof of Oklahoma residency. They, they could do all these kinds of things. Uh, so there's a lot of options um, out there if the legislature would would speak up and would have the backbone to do it if the time comes. Well, last question, since we have a minute, how can people pray for you and what kinds of things can they do uh, to support you? Yeah, yeah. Well, you can absolutely pray for our family's physical safety. Uh, there has been just a, a, a very steep, rapid, like a hockey stick rise in threats and, uh, you know, harassment towards myself and my family. And I'm having to constantly look out the, the window uh, to see who's coming up the driveway. Uh, we're having to put in more video cameras and uh, more security around our perimeter and uh, to harden us as a target. We've had to talk to the postmaster uh, in our town because there's just all kinds of threats and endangerment. You can pray for our safety in that and my wisdom and our church's strength uh, in in taking up this cause and knowing that God has, has set us apart for this. We can pray for uh, favor in the Oklahoma legislature that they would hear some of these bills and that we would have to argue them from the floor. Uh, I, I do want to go up and represent my Lord and the scriptures and our church and the Christians and our district. I want to represent with a voice. And uh, I think that's very important. Uh, yeah. you, can, you can pray for last thing. Um, you can pray that, that I will remain faithful to the Lord and not uh, bow the knee to any coercion any flattery, uh, anything that I will be bound to the word of God and my conscience would stand on it. And I, I long to do that. Uh, I'm still just a man. Uh, and I, I, I need, I need the help of the Lord. And every time I talk in, in situations like this or from in the Capitol, and it's, it's an important conversation. I pray, but, I, and I also say, I believe in the Holy spirit because God Amen. tells me that he is going to help me and I trust that he will. Amen. Well, uh, Senator and, and I should say Pastor Devers, thank you so much for your time and uh, a lot of respect for you and your humility in all this. You're just a, you see yourself as a tool to be used by God and nothing else. And that's comes across loud and clear. So I would encourage everyone to pray for uh, Pastor and Senator uh, Devers here and, um, you know, think about where you're at in your community. What can you do? Not everyone is going to play the same role. Uh, some of us have to be the support. Some of us need to be on the front lines doing the fighting. Uh, some of us may be like Senator Devers. We may have to take a stand and actually put our neck out there. And that's hard. I know that's a very 
difficult thing to think about. And uh, it's something I thought about before, too. Just, okay, is this the time? Do I have the bandwidth? Uh, is this responsible before the Lord? And if he says yes to those things and you, you feel that, uh, that sense of obligation and um, that energy from the Lord to do it, then I would encourage you to do it. And um, so we need more good men and godly men in, in these positions. So uh, with that, thank you, Senator and Pastor Devers. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.